I came in from a run, well not a run, it was a walk that turned into a run so I could make it here in time. <laughs> Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey folks, welcome to Making Data Simple. I hope you're doing well. I, uh, I appreciate everybody being here as always. It just uh, astounds me that like you're interested in what I'm interested in. And so again, I'm appreciative of that. And the general topic I have today is principled leadership with principled technologies. I think we're gonna go off the reservation though today, guys. There's a reason that I called Mark Van Name back. He's the co-founder of Principled Technologies. I'm gonna give a brief description. He was on a probably a month, two months ago, but I, I still wanna give it a description. I'll turn it over to him to introduce himself once again. But he's a technologist, a marketer, a writer, and a spoken word performer. Now, what I've learned from Mark is he's a little bit different, and I like this, and that's why he's back. In fact, he calls his like mission statement an existence statement, to do great work for clients and to be a great place to work for our staff, as he calls it. But what I've also learned from Mark is he's a man that loves his mom. I think I could say that. He's smiling right now. He loves his company. He loves to work for his team, not them work for him, loves writing, loves comedy, and loves music as we ended the last podcast. Now, many of us love those things, but I think what makes him different, at least for me, is he makes each a practice, as I would call it. So our original conversation was intriguing. Uh, again, this is a guy with multiple interests. I have multiple interests. That's what makes it intriguing to me. Our producer, Kate Main, Kate Brown. She uh, was obviously intrigued as well because she's the one that books everybody on our podcast. So if she did it, um, a few more things as I've come to know Mark. He's a science fiction author, short stories. I already talked about being a CEO of a fact-based marketing and technology assessment firm, Principal Technologies. He's worked with computer technology. That's probably what got him here more or less initially. And published over a thousand articles in computer trade press. So he knows his computer technology. Finally, if that's not enough, and I'm sure I haven't mentioned everything, he's what he calls a spoken word artist. A little bit of comedy, performed multiple shows with multiple topics, has a lot of humor, uh, interesting humor about his mom, <laughs> as we come to learn last week. So Mark, welcome. I am thrilled to have you back. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Al. It's great to be back. Great to talk with you. So do a re-intro if you could. Um, I'm sure everybody listened to the previous. If they didn't listen to the previous podcast, they're going to go back now and listen to, to what got us here. But just a quick intro to, to refresh us. Yeah, you covered my basics pretty well. I, I think I'm a man of many passions and great interests, and I can't help but laugh all the time. I think life affords us that. All we got to do is open our eyes, and it, there's a lot of humor out there. PT, Principal Technologies, is an unusual company. We started it. Uh, my business partner, Bill Catchings, and I with the idea that the best way to sell products was to tell the truth and to prove the facts behind it. So we uh, actually own the service mark Facts Matter, and we believe in that. And so our business is based on the idea of, as you mentioned, doing great work for our clients by proving the truth about their products and then helping them market it with a broad variety of marketing services and on treating our staff well taking care of them, being a great place to work for our team. Personally, you know, we, we've talked about all the different things you do. If you were to describe, and maybe we talked about this before, I don't think we did. What, how would you describe your own brand? 
My personal brand? Personal brand. I don't think I ever think about that. Um, that's I don't normally fail to have an answer. I <laughs> I think that it would be uh, a passionate explorer, an yeah, angry person, and, and, and uh, my brand probably includes some anger. I fight anger a lot. Uh, I think there's plenty to be angry about in the world, and uh, I care. I care a great deal about a, a great many things. I hopefully not angry enough to get up and, and slap a, a comedian on stage. Oh, my goodness. A comedian. Oh. I, <laughs> I, I admire how well Chris Rock handled that. Uh, I think that was something that would be hard for many people. Certainly dealing with aggression and not giving aggression back is difficult. But, you know, these are tough times. And as somebody who makes a lot of jokes uh, in shows, it's tricky now. It is tricky to pick your humor targets. I tend to mostly focus on myself. I, that way, if I'm going to hit anybody, it's going to be me. <laughs> you know what's interesting about that? I don't know why I brought that up because I just hate bringing it up. Anyway, but the one thing I'd say is I have looked at it a couple times. I didn't watch the Oscars. I mean, that, that woke me up. I didn't even know the Oscars was going on until that happened. But I did watch it a couple times. But to your point, it was not probably what most folks would expect. I was watching how well Chris responded to that. That was impressive to me. Just how he stopped, he paused, and he kind of looked to the side, and then he just looked back and said something like, greatest night on television, folks. Yeah, he did a phenomenal job. Yeah, did a really good, I mean, there's, and I keep asking myself, would I have done that? It took all of I had not to go back after him, you know what I mean? So for him to get slapped in the face, in, in in control and balance as he did that was that was really good maybe obviously he's trained in the stuff he's been on stage for a long time but i thought he did a nice job like you said i completely agree and i do think it is extremely hard to greet aggression with calm and i think it is frequently the best thing but it is extremely difficult so what makes you angry man why are you so angry oh my goodness i i think I mentioned a Henry Rollins line to you once, uh, and I don't like stealing from him again, but I will. He said, if you're not angry, you're not awake. And I think there is some truth to that. And over the years, what I've tried to do is use that anger for motive force to turn it into some good energy. It's tricky. You know, I, I would I imagine, it. though, based on what I, I know of you, you've you've become at least, you know, you can, you can make the comment but here, but a master of turning that into positivity. I mean, there is such a thing. We often say this and I often questioned it sometimes is like, we want our customers to use our products in anger. I mean, just that they love those products and they want to use them so much, but I presume you turn it into a positive outcome. In general, I believe that is a, something we need to view as energy and mm-hmm. put that energy into doing some good. Um, destructive forces, negativity, lashing out, these things rarely accomplish much. Channeling those same energies into providing solutions, working with people, evangelizing people to see better things, that gets more done. And I have a long way to go. Just think of how much better it could have been if Will Smith, as receiving the Oscar, would have used that as an opportunity to... To, to take the better the better side of it and reinforce the fact that his wife is struggling with a disease and he could have took the high roll road and that had made him the hero. I don't know how we got into that conversation. Let's let's backtrack again. Is that why you get into comedy? I mean, I mean, a lot of people say. I mean, I know you're doing a lot around comedy. 
what I love about that is that when several things first, when you're up on stage talking to a crowd, telling stories, telling jokes, making people laugh, it is entirely you. It's the same thing I like about writing my novels. It's entirely me. I spend so much of my days collaborating in teams that there's a certain kind of freedom and risk and excitement from being alone. The next thing about comedy is it's very high stakes. When you lose the audience, it's horrible. You say something you think is supposed to be funny and there's like 400 people just silent. You go, oh no, it's <laughs> terrifying. And so uh, people have described comedy as being on stage naked from the waist down and it's you're completely exposed. So I'm attracted to the risk in that, to the craziness in it. But the last thing is when it's when you're on, when it's working, there is such a great joy a gift to give people laughter. I love going to comedy clubs. I love hearing comedians. And when you're standing there and you're watching all these people smiling and laughing and you helped give them that, it's tremendous. It's, it, it's great. You know, and no, then, I, there, there's ego. I'm sure there's ego in there. <laughs> I like the challenge of it as well. I mean, I often get on stage Well, I haven't, you know, COVID's really changed yeah. a lot of things, but um, you know, I used to get on stage, talk about technology and, Look, I mean, I, I I envision myself as one of those in the audience. And look, technology can be dry. So I always like to have a little fun. I always put some comedy in it. I know what you're saying. I've said some things people don't find funny. And you, the thing I do like about that, you got to teach yourself to, you know, fail fast, keep moving. And they'll, yes. they'll, they'll laugh at the next thing, right? And that picks you back up. And that's such a surge of, uh, I don't know, it's not confidence. It'll give you a little bit of high when you're having fun. And, and a piece of advice that I'd give to anybody is there's a lot to be said to having energy. I mean, just come across as happy-go-lucky, excited, energetic. I think that becomes infectious. So a lot of times, you know, it may not be your best pitch. It may not be your best comedy routine or whatever. But as you come across, you know, you're, you're smiling, you're having fun. I think, I don't know what you think, but I, I feel like people just have fun alongside you. It becomes part of the vibe, I guess. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think doing comedy on stage helps me understand my own neuroses. Perfect example of me is the first show I did, there were about 300 people in the audience and everybody plotted at the end. Most of them stood up. It was great. And I walked off the stage and I went over to my friend who was helping me sell the merchandise there. And the first words I said to her were, was it okay? (laughs) (laughs) And it's just, you immediately see yourself and she's just giving me a look and I'm like, yeah, I deserve the look. And it's just your neuroses come out big time. And and seeing that in yourself and trying to deal with it is, I think, helpful. You always get better. I, I like every experience to try and help me be a little bit better. Principal technologies. We left last time with companies. You make sure companies, sorry, make sure their technology works, how it competes in the market, and how to articulate that competitive advantage in marketing terms. The sound bites that I got from you last time were audience, usage model, and context disruptive creation. You know, some of these aren't completely related to one another, but see, I pay attention. People that write the code should never test it. (laughs) We need to find new methods to compete in the attention economy that we're in today. We can't make more time. So we've got to do that better. That ties into your marketing element. 
let me just ask this, and then I'll move on to the people side, which I really want to talk about. That's why we're here today. But I wanted to hit principal technologies quickly. What's the biggest challenge that you see that, and how are you solving it with principal technologies? I think the biggest challenge for all of us in technology and marketing is to help people understand complex issues quickly because they don't have a lot of time to give to it. And people want really simple answers, but it's not ever simple. Nothing is ever really simple. Somebody comes out with a new generation of servers and they go, ah, these are 30% faster. And that's just not true. They're going to be 28% at some things, 32 at another, 3% at a different thing. It's going to depend on their configuration, the workload, all that stuff. Helping people make sense of technology and make informed buying decisions when the issues are complicated and they won't give you a lot of time is, I think, one of the greatest challenges for all of us. And that is something we are always battling. How do we do fair studies and comparisons that will make sense to people that address their needs that we can communicate quickly given the inherent complexities in the subject. And I think that extends past technology in all of America in all of the world today, we face these incredibly complicated issues and everybody wants them to be simple. Everybody wants to reduce it to a sentence, a soundbite, a slap, you know, whatever it is. And we need to, in my opinion, figure out how we can communicate the complexity and encourage people to put in an appropriate amount of time and energy to understanding those complexities. But isn't simple a, a worthy endeavor? I mean, you mentioned last time, as I quoted you earlier, we've got to compete in the attention economy. Yes. Hey, Einstein even said everything should be made as simple as possible, but not simpler, by the way. I don't know that he really said that there, but let's just say he did for today. So what say you? I completely agree, and that's why you asked the biggest challenge. I completely agree. We need to make it as simple as possible, but if we make it too simple, then we start not telling the truth, and we start encouraging beliefs that are wrong, and that's the challenge. That is our biggest challenge. How do we take all of this work and many person months of effort to prove competitive advantages, hands-on with these offerings, these technology solutions, and turn it into actionable, small, easily consumed pieces with the ability for you to dig deeper. We, we talk about these principles with uh, content, that content should be snackable and stackable. Snackable allows you to consume quickly in the form you like. We don't all like the same foods. We don't all like the same content, which is why an effective collateral program will frequently have videos and infographics and short write-ups and PowerPoints, but stackable also so that you have a way to dig deeper so that when you're intrigued in an area and you want a little more data, you can, in a reasonable amount of effort, dig into it. And that is something we work to balance all the time. I got you. For those of you who want to hear more about principal technologies, you got to go back to our last podcast, which was terrific, which brought us here. I want to talk about the people side, though. And here is some sound bites I got from you. Earn, respect, reward. You're no a leader when, when people are following you. That's one of my favorites, by the way. You know, if you look back, people should be following you. Titles and budgets put boxes around you. Well-intentioned, responsible adults want to do good work. A perfect hire is smart, committed, high integrity with a desire to learn and grow. Don't be colorblind, be color brave. Magic happens with, with your job and your personal life when they come together and you can grow 
both collectively. I may be putting in a few words with some of these, but that's some of the sound bites I have. I think maybe the best place to start that kind of encapsulates many of, of those are a book that you wrote called Limit Your Greed. Let me give the full title. Limit Your Greed, Put Principles Above Money to Build Better Businesses in a Better World and Still Make Profit. Are you writing all the time? I used to. I lately am not writing something that I have unfortunately let life squeeze out and I need to get back to. So when uh, when you're writing all the time, because look, I, everybody has the same thing in that I start writing, I do really well, and then I fall off the wagon and do really bad. It seems like it's binary. It's like it's either, it's kind of like playing my guitar. <laughs> I'm usually playing, playing, playing. All oh, this feels good. I'm really practicing. All of a sudden, I go two weeks without playing. I'm like, what has happened? It like it gets out of your habits. That's why I call all this a practice. You've got to have a practice and you've got to prioritize and institute the things that you want in your practice. But when you were writing, what was your method? How did you stay on it to deliver that many books? What worked for me, and I believe in writing as in all things, what works for me may not work for somebody else, was exactly what you're talking about. I had to make a habit. And my rule was this. Before I could go to bed, every day, and I would usually do it late at night, I had to write for a half hour, just a half hour. Now, if I was in the groove and I wanted to keep going, absolutely keep going. But when I talk about writing, I actually had a very odd definition. I didn't have to accomplish a word count. I didn't want to put that on myself. But what I had to do was sit for 30 minutes staring at an open Word document with no other windows open, no distraction, no music to listen to, nothing, and I had to give my full attention to the writing job. And if I got zero done, but I stared at the screen and tried hard to think of things, I would call it a success. Now, as it turns out, my natural boredom never let me get nothing done because I'd be like, well, crap, if I'm just going to stare at the screen, I might as well type something. And that was my method. And I usually ended up doing more than a half hour. And, and once you're in a project, if you're doing a novel and you're working on it every day, you, part of your mind is always living in that imagined world. So you're eager to get back to it. And then I stole some plot tricks from and writing tips from others. Like one of my favorites is never end your day on the end of a chapter. End your day in the middle of something like a cliffhanger. I mean, like I would, I would frequently stop halfway through a sentence and go to bed or stop writing because the next day I was like, I got to get back to that. And that was a trick that really helped me. That's an interesting trick. Now, that one I hadn't heard before. You'd think that you'd want to finish the chapter because you feel like you've accomplished something, but I get exactly what you're saying. Right, because the next day you were going, and I also am a huge believer in what I've always heard called, but I'm sure other writers before him did it, the Hemingway method, which is take the previous day's page or two, last, you know, say 250 to 500 words mm -hmm. and start by running your fingers over those and change whatever you want as you're going, but force yourself to start there so that you're sort of reading and writing your way into the new words. That way your brain gets brought fully back to that. Uh, one thing that specifically resonates with me is something that I firmly believe in. And that's, I use it often in probably all aspects of my life. Uh, I got a lot of different sayings and think motivational pieces or whatever you want to call them. But the one that's probably above all show up, meaning it's kind of like exercise. Let's use that as an example. No different than writing. What I find is like, just show up. 
That's all you do. Even if you go and you're going to go get on the bike, just, just half bake it. Just, you just show up. That's all you got to do. Because to your point, you call it, you don't want to be bored. That's probably a good definition. When I get there, you always show up. You know what I mean? And it, it's the same philosophy I used when I was playing guitar. You know, just show up 20 minutes a day. That's all. 20 minutes. What happens is, to your point, you get into it. And pretty soon, you're an hour later having practice. And you're like, that felt really good. And it all started with, I don't have time. I'm not going to do this. You know, hey, where do I start? Just show up. Well, I completely agree with showing up. And I will say that it's my observation is you may sit down to write and you may think, I don't have it today. This is going to be crap. I'm going to write the worst dribble on the planet. And you do whatever you do. Go back three months later and read what you wrote, and you will not be able to tell the difference between the days when you felt you had no motivation and the days when you felt like you were a star and you had it. You will not be able to tell because time washes that and mood washes that. It's like I used to train bodybuilding with a friend and we complain about being weak or, or say we're great. And if you look at the logs of how much you lift, it doesn't really correlate. Once you're in it, you're in it. My, my particular uh, analog to that is something that I have on screensavers on a lot of systems uh, that I use and that I try to remind myself of in everything in life. And I fail at all the time. I'm constantly working at it, but it is be present. The more you are present, yeah. the better things go. That was and my it's theme. hard. My, that was my theme for last year. My theme for this year is intentional, which is not far off. But I do want to talk about your book, Limit Your Greed. The question I'm going to ask is, one, I'm going to start with, why did you write this book? Secondly, I'm going to say, do you still consider yourself a capitalist? <laughs> I'm going to, because if I look at this book, let me give you a few sound bites for the book itself. Earning the largest possible profit is not every company's central goal or shouldn't be. Maximizing shareholder value is not a goal at all. Business leaders choose to limit their compensation, should choose to limit their compensa compensation so that all their employees can, can have more. Boy, that's not, not often what you hear in the business world today, Mark. And kind of ending and summarizing, business owners can and should Limit their greed to build better businesses in a better world while still making a profit. Why did you write this book? We wrote it because when we would tell people about the PT ideas and philosophy, people would say over and over variations of, that's interesting, that's weird, that's unusual, just like you mentioned, that's not what people do. And inevitably, somebody would say, you should write a book about that. And so we finally said, yeah, we should write a book about that. And we did. And we tried not to pad it. It's a fairly short book. We just tried to do exactly the um, content that we felt was necessary and no more. But to go to your second question, uh, yes, absolutely, we're capitalists. Uh, I do believe in the market. I do, but I believe that capitalism needs a helping hand. I believe that some regulation is appropriate. I believe that. All systems have the possibility of falling prey to systemic issues and that we need to address them. And I don't think it is at odds to try and say, I'm not going to maximize every cent that I personally can make with my desire to make a good living. I think that it is more and more clear if you watch hiring problems today, particularly in tech, 
more and more clear that if we don't take care of people, if we don't listen to people, if we don't pay attention to the work styles they want, to their satisfaction, to their benefits, then they will not work for us. And that is happening. It's happening all over the place. So I, I and I, and I think honestly, there is an element of, is it better for somebody to make an extra $20 million in bonus one year or to have everyone in their company do a little better and give up some of that? I, I think in the end, it's better for them to maybe live a little less. I definitely could be richer than I am if we had not profit shared, for example, so much. But I wouldn't be as happy with the business and I'm doing fine. I mean, I'm not saying don't pay market value for people. I'm not saying don't make a profit. I, Bill and I completely do strive to make profit, we, to take care of people. But we have to balance that with taking care of people because it matters. Is it you being noble or do you firmly believe that, and both of these are positives, but do you firmly believe that taking on that notion that everybody wins or nobody wins that in the end, your business is actually going to end up better than it was previously. And you may even make more money with everybody making more money. Is it the latter or is it former? Is it both? I've never thought of myself as noble. <laughs> um, I, I'm inside my own head and I have all too many awarenesses of my own problems. So I would never say I was noble. I would say, though, that it's the right thing to do, in my opinion. And I do think that the business does better work and the people do better work when it is clear that you're investing in them and you're honest. I will tell you, past a certain size, there are always people on our team who don't believe we're telling the truth. They, we will be completely transparent and they won't believe we're being transparent. They will, there will be some people that will always have negative theories and that's okay. Our job is to keep behaving well and try and earn their trust. But, uh, for example, we've done two acquisitions. Mm -hmm. And when I greeted the companies that we acquired, greeted their teams, uh, and Bill and I were standing there talking to them in, in a company meeting, we said to them, our first job, having acquired your company, is to earn your trust and earn your faith. Our first job is to show you that we are what we say we are. And that you have a home here and that you will want to be here. And that's not the attitude I think people often bring to such things. And I think it's a mistake. I, I try to be governed a lot by what's the right thing to do. And to me, this is the right thing to do. I thought of you the other day. <laughs> I, um, I was reading a book called Pappy Land. And what it is, I'm a bourbon fan. And it's about Pappy Van Winkle and the story of Pappy Van Winkle. Good book. I'd highly recommend it. But Pappy Van Winkle, I, I think, I don't remember, I'm going to get this wrong. I think they started originally in the 1930s. And their motto was, we make fine bourbon, at a profit if we can, at a loss if we must, but always fine bourbon. I think that's an awesome, like, motto, whatever. But they did go out of business in 1970. But it made me think of you because as I'm thinking it, um, I understand, but I wonder if he had the same philosophy and he ended up, you know, he would not sacrifice the quality of bourbon 
And ultimately, it ended a cost him in that in that case. And they're just now bringing it kind of back. His great grandson, I believe it is, you know, has worked hard to use the name and work with some of the distilleries, and that's why it's such an interesting story. I, I don't know how to explain it, but when I look at that quote, I mean, that's something you want to be a part of. Everybody wants to be a part of that, but he's still lost. Yeah. I don't think we are quite there because I think that inherent in his statement is a potential lack of listening to his clients. But I also think that it might have been okay for them to fail because the market wasn't there just then. In our case, we have evolved our offerings constantly over the years by listening to our clients. And I've said this before, I think, to you that I'm always amazed at how slow we can be to learn from what we're hearing. <laughs> I think all businesses can do a better job of listening to their clients and understanding them. And so I don't think we hold out one thing as being the definition of PT. Is it possible that our business model proves untenable? Yes, absolutely. But we're in our 20th year. We're still doing it, and I think it's reasonable. And I think a lot of the world now is realizing they're going to have to pay people better. They're going to have to have better benefits, or they're not going to be able to hire those people. But and I think you were doing it before it was fashionable. Absolutely. That's what we talked about last time. You, do, you don't even have really titles in the organization. You switch who's in authority, so to speak, based on their skill set. And if they're going to lead a specific team, which I think is – extremely interesting in, in how you do that. And, and as CEO, you still got to call yourself CEO. I guess somebody has to know, but how many hours do you spend a day or is your, because you've got so many interests. I mean, are you guys like all contributing at the same level? Would you say that? So first I'm actually not CEO and haven't been for a while. We have a CEO named John, John. Mc I'm, I'm now just, I have some other titles that are mandated by articles <laughs> of incorporation, right? Okay. So like I'm president, uh, we have to have a president. We have to have, I think I'm secretary to bills, a couple other things. Um, but we don't have a single rank. Bill and I are still the co-owners. We're still the co-founders. So we still have control there. I would say that I have been able during COVID to cut my hours some. And so I'm probably down to say 10, 12 hours a day. Um, and then some weekend time I am involved in a bunch of different things that reflect my passions and what I see for the company, but we all are involved in different things and we move in and out of different areas. So it's a very fluid way of operating that I highly recommend. Bill is your Steve Wozniak. No, I would say we're much more partners than that. I wouldn't say I'm Steve Jobs. We're just very different people. Bill and I have been together for uh, 30, this will be 37 years we've wow. worked together. I mean, you've done a lot of books together. You must have like-minded interests. What's interesting is we both do and don't. Uh, Bill and I uh, 
say, take elections without going into any details, we have almost never voted for the same candidate. <laughs> we have. You should just get together beforehand and say, hey, we're not going to go to the polls because we're going to cancel each other out. Just say we talked time. about that, but neither one of us would trust the other not to sneak out and do it. So that's awesome. I, I would say that we have tremendous respect and tremendous shared common values, <laughs> and we come at it from sufficiently different perspectives. That I always learn from Bill, and I say the same. Yeah, Look, I think that's important. very interesting in and of itself. Probably deserves another breakout that you can work with somebody that long, have politics that are polar opposite of one another, and still have the same values. So many values. I mean, there's obviously areas where we're different. Yeah, yeah, but sure. we, we have huge respect for each other, and I, I learn from him always. So, You've got some presents over your right shoulder. What the heck? Are you, are you, are you handing out presents? No. I had a friend who's far away who sent me some birthday presents. My birthday was back in March and asked that I not open them until we could FaceTime and it just hasn't worked out. He sent you a lot. It looks like a lot of books. Or I, suspect, DVDs. I have a lot of rectangles in this house. Rectangles <laughs> are us. All right, Mr. Poor Choices. I appreciate you being with us today. Yeah, I mean, these are all cool topics that you often don't get to talk about with somebody as easily as yourself. So I appreciate you humoring me, if you will, and in, in going down these different rat holes, whatever you want to call them, but I find that very interesting. And I appreciate your experience. Uh, I take a lot of notes. So thank well, you for that. Thank you for having me. I really enjoy the conversations. The time flies by. And my mother said that my uh, greatest problem was being unable to shut up. So I'm happy to come back and yak anytime. I've always got more to say, sadly. So thank you. Mark, I greatly appreciate it. Mark Van Nay. Thank you. Folks, I appreciate everything that you guys bring to the podcast, being listeners, and the feedback that you give us in terms of, you know, who should be on, what you like, what you don't like. Please rate us on any podcast or whatever flavor of podcast you use and hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Until next time, thank you. Bye-bye.